0: Hi again, right, we're here with um, Alex Lee this time, this is episode number nine, um, it's myself and Matt, say hello Matt, and hey, uh. um, we have Alex as well, say hello Alex, um, Alex is a, a sports scientist with the UAE Armed Forces, um, we're just going to talk about some of the stuff that he've, he's in his past and some of the stuff that he's got going on, um, do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you've got?
1: yeah um so as, as keith mentioned at the minute uh current role is working with the uh, with the military out here predominantly with the uh the national service so obviously they introduced that like to, i think it was about two three years ago now but three just over three years ago um, and obviously with that comes a huge volume of people big part of the job is physical training obviously so they have to look after them, and that's what I what I help do. Um, is, is that your actual job title, sports scientist? Sports scientist. Sports scientist. Yeah. Um, that's funny. I was, I was only talking the other day to uh, someone in, in the industry, and there seems to be this gap between what a sports science a sports scientist does and a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah.
2: Or, well, there's nobody ever really decided like this is what a sports scientist does. This is what an S and C coach does. Yeah. And then the people who are S and C coaches they for some reason they decided that the term wasn't kind of grand enough for them and so they became like performance coaches and then was was it physical preparation coaches Uh, yeah yeah. I'm a physical preparation specialist and it just kind of gets weird and preparator.
1: yeah (laughs) personally I'd probably say I'm more of a strengthening conditioning coach than a sports scientist but yeah, I think when people say sports scientists, you think of people in a lab coat with glasses on. Yeah, like Just a going over data right? and testing all and, <laughs> and the other. And obviously they provide, the, I think you have to be a, a sports scientist to be a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, that's like the global term, right? Because then you've got to, you have to be able to kind of interpret the stuff that these guys give you. Yeah, like you I mean, you science and like, sport. Like. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, you know, you think about when... So we, we obviously all went to university together. Think of some of the boys who were back at uni. That You know, they'll do BSc, MSc, PhD. Mm. Like, those guys are clever. Yeah. And we did exactly the same BSc. Would I ever do an MSc and a PhD? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, because I don't want to be set there going over yeah. data and research and everything. I want to be able to interpret that. So that, I think that's where the split comes, is, mm. is what what you prefer to do, and I'd prefer to apply it, work work with the people. Yeah, it's the same in Indian industry, like when you get like
2: academic law professors and then kind of people in the trenches actually doing law in the courts and
1: you know, blah, 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 blah. It's the same with our game as well. At the end of the day, a lawyer is always going to be called a lawyer. Yeah, uh, and conditioning <laughs> coach can be performance coach human performance coach yeah. physical preparator and it's kind of not even like, a protected
2: term so you could be a personal trainer but then just work with an athlete and now you're the residency yeah. coach yeah exactly right. um, so go on then. so what's, what's sports science with the military then like what, what do you have to do so
1: it's obviously as I, <clears throat> I mentioned before yeah. it's th- you're dealing with a lot of volume Yeah. so if you'd said to me that I was you know it involves Using BMI, you know, doing rockport tests, using heart rate data, I'd be, a bit, I'd be a bit like, well, like what you know, what you're doing is there's way better things to be doing than mm. than that. But now we've been doing it for two years. There's very little room for movement because there's just because of the sheer volume of people. You're not, yeah. you know, you're not going to be doing caliper testing for 1,500 people. So what? Talk about talk, what's your actual so what's your job role? Like, what have you got happening when you've got so many people? So we get the boys on. So with the national service, they'll they'll do their... It's basically, it's like their boot camp from day day dot day one through to it's a sixteen week course that they do. So P, the PT side of that obviously develops, gets harder, progresses over that sixteen weeks. Um, so what we do, we test them at the beginning, middle, and and end. Uh, so these are the guys that the UAE
0: government are making do a year. Is it a year? Or is it nine months? Yeah, I think it's a year. Uh, so they're making it's they're making the general population, the local Emiratis, do a year of
1: service. Yeah. It's not the guys who are actually I want to be in the military. No, the, the, there are some on obviously the people who train them are yeah are the, the fully trained full time uh, military. Um, um, but yeah, you know, because they are the people straight off the street, you think of the military back home, you know, you, you have to go through rigorous testing before you even start day one of boot camp. Mm. So there's a level there that you know you're working with. Whereas these guys are all different levels, uh, different fitness levels, different health issues and just you know, your general population that you would see everywhere. It's a bit like personal training, you know, yeah. you, you don't know who you're gonna get in. There could be you know, really good level footballer or it could be someone who's just, you know, six, seven weeks post op. Obviously we don't we don't get those guys, but you know, it's the, because 'cause you've got such a big volume of people of of varying abilities, that's where your your challenges lie. Um, yeah. you know, so we kind of we as I said to you, we use BMI, we split them up, um, with the guys at the more obese end of the scales, we tailored their Training, um, so they do a submax VO2 test, which is a rockport test. So we use the like the polar two heart rate monitors, mm-hmm. um, to kind of do that. We get all the data in. What's that test involved? It's a 1.5 mile walk that it's sub maximal, so it's you know, it's not a run, we don't want them to go too slow, it's just finding that, that fine line between not running and not going too slow, so then. Obviously, the, with that, they're wearing a heart rate strap, so we get, I time them, and then the data we get back from the heart rate monitors, I can see when they finish, and mm-hmm. at that point, you get the heart rate and enter it into an equation that a sports scientist has got. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, well, that's,
2: and then that spits out the VO2 max and yeah, all that
1: sort of stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, so what's the VO2 max? Uh, what, so it's just your ability, your body's maximal ability to uptake oxygen. It's kind of given as a a very... Millimoles. Yeah, uh, very general sort of fitness level. So it's it's probably the biggest predictor in fitness in terms of across general populations. And it becomes less relevant kind of the more elite you get and other things start to to come into play.
1: But you can test VO2 max maximally. You know, you've got sprint tests. There's lots of tests you can do, but because we've got a duty of care for these... A bit, a bit more obese people, yeah. you know, we can't be pushing them into that kind of the higher end heart rate zone. So it's just a good way of, uh, and another one is a step test, the Harvard step test. That's a submax test. Yeah. But we're not gonna get 300 odd lads up and down steps in one go. That's gonna take a long time. Whereas we can get them walking around in larger groups. So again, it just comes down to logistics. Is it the best test we can be doing? We don't know, but it's it's the best for the job at the minute yeah. because purely logistics. That's what I said to you before, you know. I think when you come out of university you load it up with all these ideas. Yeah. If you can actually execute them in you know, in, in different uh industries not industries, like in different jobs, mm-hmm. then you you go in with a perfect plan, but it doesn't always yeah. come out that way. You yeah. just gotta find what works best for that situation and yeah. this, this does that's that's the thing about uni and I think it's people kind
2: of go into it with the wrong idea in many respects or at least come out of it with the wrong idea they've kind of been given the best case scenario in pretty much every sim- like situation and then they they always try and stick to that and, yeah. and they sort of make things too complicated and they, whereas like you say you just got to tailor it and you just got to do the best you can like the, the stuff that you learn at uni is just kind of a as I say, the best case scenario, you try and stick as closely to it as you can do, but as I say, different situations present different difficulties, and that's kind of the difference between somebody who is uh, knowledgeable and somebody who's wise, right, the person who's actually able to tailor it to their situation.
1: Um, Yeah, it kind of, you think back to, I was lucky enough that I was working within professional rugby while I was at uni mm. whereas yeah, so talk, talk a little bit about your background, like what, what brought you um to this point where are you from that kind of stuff well so I've always played rugby from a young age and obviously like with that involves some sort of training think back you know when, when we were at school it involved a few bicep curls and bench press yeah, <laughs> around, around the back of the shed with the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah, you know, and then you kind of leave school so I left school and went to play rugby in South Africa um, worked at a school uh, called Bishops and then I was playing rugby at the University of Cape Town that's when it kind of got a bit more a bit more serious in terms of off the field conditioning you know strength work gym work again I didn't really have a clue what I was doing but they uh, UCT have got a really good setup, and they do um, we used to train at a place in Cape Town called the Sports Science Institute, like this huge gym. Um, it was like a commercial gym, um, but it also had uh, you know, sports scientists working there and would do certain testing. So people, obviously people who knew what they were talking about. Um, so that's when I first start, started thinking, well, you know, that's, that's actually a pretty cool job to go into. Yeah. Um, I'd always wanted to follow my dad and, and join the forces. That's that's all I'd ever wanted to do. So I moved home after doing my year in, in Cape Town. Joined the Marines, but unfortunately uh, left on on medical grounds. But you know, the, you think back to my training then. What I was doing was a lot of running, press ups, sit ups. As soon as I got that done, it would be bench press and bicep curls. Yes. You know, and I think off the back of that, the sheer volume of i can say bad training because it was my training so there's no one else to blame um you know when i was in the marines i had shoulder issues um kept dislocating hence why i had to leave in the end had surgery and it's only now that you know a few years later i would say that i'm a lot stronger yeah i'd say that I was probably fitter but i'm doing completely different training yeah smarter yeah. yeah smarter training exactly um so, yeah, I think, like I said, it's, so I came from South Africa, did that, left the Marines, and then got into personal training, because thought, you know, if there's anything else to do, it's got to involve training. So uh, moved to London, worked in Notting Hill as a trainer. So that was, my friend was actually a personal trainer down in London, and he kind of moved down there, worked for Fitness First, he got personal trainer of the year, he was doing really well. We used to meet up, and I was like, right, I wanna I want a bit of that. Sounds really good fun. Moved down to London, got a job as a personal trainer. Soon found out that you know PT of the year is basically salesman of the year. Yeah. And uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd meet yeah. <laughs> these these people who are doing really well in a company, get really well paid, well praised for it, everything like that. That you know, you'd watch their sessions and they would literally just set up a circuit in the gym for the day and just smash people through it hour after hour after hour, have a lunch break, bang, straight back in. And that was a good day, that was a good week, it was a good month, you know, they've hit the targets, they've exceeded targets. Oh, personal trainer of the year. Whereas I was, my sessions were rubbish. I was earning absolutely nothing um, in terms of my session delivery. But the content of my sessions, I, I always thought were maybe a bit better. Um, a bit more specific. A bit more specific to the client, spend time with the client. I always found that my client base was consistent. Although the numbers were low, it was consistent. Hmm. And it just got to the point where I was working with a manager and he sat me down and he's like, I worked in a team of all these people who were like whooping and high fives and, and all that. Was yeah. this yeah, it's wicked. End. And uh, my manager sat me down one day and he's like, Alex, I just, I don't get you. I can't work you out. And I was just like, wow. Is, what, <laughs> um, Why are you spending what, so much time with clients? Just because I'm not running around doing high fives. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my clients were happy. I would, I'd get recognised for masks because my clients would email my boss and say, you know, there was once where one of my clients we'd finished the session and we went to food shopping because she was like well I don't know what to buy so I was like right let's go food shopping we went to the shop and it's just about providing more than just the training that it is and you know luckily I had the time to do that and, and whatever you get recognised for that but you know an email from higher up in the office saying well done he's not going to pay the bills yeah you know as, good, it, head it, head as good as it is it said that email no no no, no. that's oh. well, <laughs> you know, oh, what it's, like <laughs> <nice, laughs> it's nice to get that recognition but as I said you know I wasn't churning <laughs> out the sessions like these other boys so I, yeah after that I was just like right I know I love training people and I was working at Twickenham uh, mm. at the time and there's you know no better place to be really like the HQ of England rugby yeah That you know, you meet some pretty cool people. St Mary's was just down the road, Um, so yeah, ended up at university, which was a big thing for me because I'm certainly not an academic. Uh, Didn't really do that well at school. Somehow managed to blag my place into St Mary's, Um, and you know, I was 23 at the time. Obviously, I was a bit older. I knew what I wanted to do, so therefore, you do find that focus that if you if you've got an assignment to be in then mm-hmm. you you know you have to do it yeah. and instead of just going out smashing the pints the same, <laughs> saying that though that's how that's when we met yeah
0: it was one of the first so it was my second year because I, I was we were i was 24 that year it was my second year at uni i went back when i was 23. st mary's twickenham the whole lot and we were out at a social on wednesday night and i just looked across at didn't all the new guys in the first month or so see this guy just, just standing chilling and I was like alright he seemed like he's my kind of person to chat to
1: and then. yeah because
0: yeah. he wasn't <laughs> completely just chugging beers and like spilling drinks all over himself and arguing with his friends Bent over and he just sort of he's like yeah no like, that must have been your third year no? Huh? no it was my second year because you,
2: you were the year above me yeah you were the year below me
1: yeah it must have been your third year oh right? really? yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah so I was 25 then yeah. <laughs> so I was just like yeah what's your name Alex from Blackpool Sweetwood. <laughs> <laughs> right mate but here's the deal don't listen to anybody they're going to try to tell you what to
1: do just do your thing and just get on with it and don't put up with the mess alright we'll be friends yeah it was good I think I got a good balance I still carried on playing a bit of rugby but I just as I said I was a bit older and just had that focus, and I was, yeah. know, I was I was still doing personal training on the side, and then um, through through contacts managed to get an internship at London Welsh. Met a guy called Paul Cater, um, one of the first S C coaches that I worked with. Very very good coach in terms of um, good at sprint work, um, power based stuff but in the gym he was like your typical American strength coach like woo yeah, sure. yeah you know just but he, he was kind of like the all round package he was really good so I learnt a lot from him and then there was another guy at the other end of the spectrum a guy called Lee Eldridge who again I learnt a lot from him so it was good to kind of get that balance between the different coaches and, and things like that so I ended up at Welsh for for three years whilst I was at uni, mm-hmm. um, so obviously did a lot of uni without going to lectures because I was either at the rugby club or yeah. personal training, um, which took up you know a lot of time. And you know you kind of you, you do sacrifice a lot when you do it. But again, because I was a bit older, you just you do have that drive yeah. to to do it. And you know you I enjoyed what I did, sure. especially down at the rugby club. Um, so then we, we were in the Premiership, so London Males were in the Premiership for a season. Um, you got it now, didn't you, one of the games? Yeah. I get your boots. So, um, and you went and played, did you? In, so that was the A-League. All right. Um, not, obviously not any Premiership games, but uh, what was I saying there? So as they went down, I was graduating. Mm. Um, and it, it was just kind of perfect time that I thought, right, let's go and look for something. Got no ties in London. Um, obviously, came across you guys. I think you had just moved out. It was Chris who I got in, in touch with. Yeah. And yeah, you
2: came in January. So, yeah. We were in October, you were in January. When
1: we yeah. To pass, uh, so I um, joined the party, moved out, joined the club, <laughs> come and live the dream in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. Um, yeah, and that's how I ended up in Dubai
2: yeah
1: but we've done a lot of work since being out here very varied personal training I think there's a lot to be said people uh, with you know certain qualifications who are some say just personal training um personally I like the way the industry is going because you are getting a a better level of coach trainer yeah S and Z coach whatever you call them personal trainer um because people go on about the, the market being saturated. You know, back home, are there many jobs? I think they have to legally they have to advertise them, but you see them and you know there's two or three people in, in the run for them anyway because yeah, they yeah. know people.
2: That's the same in any industry, they, they, yeah. they are legally obliged to uh,
1: to advertise. Are you yeah. talking about the strength conditioning industry? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, so I actually went back a few months ago and spoke to um a guy called Jonathan Griffith. Griffiths. Oh, Griff, yeah. Griff, and we were talking, and <laughs> he's at Fulham now, right? Fulham, yeah. Let's see. Yeah. yeah, he's. I think he's head of academy. Yeah. So he got. He's finished his PhD.
2: Um, yeah. I remember him doing that while I was at Loughborough doing my masters. He was there doing his PhD. Yeah. In and out. That guy's yeah. clever. Like, he's really clever. He's deceptively clever. Yeah. Because you, the first time you meet him, and he, he seems like kind of a, a regular sort of dude, and he's there, and he's kind of mucking in with the academies and stuff. So you think he's just kind of a coach's yeah. coach. And then you speak to him on a deep and level. You, You're like, wow, yeah, he's
1: really <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, they were intense. Um, so yeah, we were talking, and I think I said to him, I was like, I, th- I think it would be. We're talking about the industry, and there's a few boys back home who have left simis and set up their own strength and conditioning companies, mm-hmm. and um, what you know, obviously they're very good scientists and coaches but what they're not equipped with is business skills and right. I think the way our degree was structured that we didn't really have any flexibility in the modules that we took um, I think that was the difference between a sports science degree and the strength and conditioning degree was that ours was this is what you're doing until yeah. your final year you do your, um, your dissertation then you had a bit of flexibility but I said to him if we very useful to introduce some sort of business skills or um, some, you know, something other than just science because the way the industry is going I think a lot of people are, are going to have to either set up on their own yeah. or work, work for someone who has set up on their own A lot know. of that is sort of just recession based as well Yeah Like there's a
0: spike in people not being able to get jobs so it's just like I'm good at training people I've got five people every week. Yeah. I'm just gonna do my own thing. Yeah. And then getting out of that coach, always environment to like, how can I get other people to help me? How can I run a business? How can I make this more profitable? Our rehab degree had a small business module, but it was literally like one, or two, one lecture on a business plan. Okay, go away, make up a business plan. Yeah. like and we had all the headings it was just create your own fantasy clinic or your own fantasy job and just mm. put you can hand it back in in June yeah and then the next bit was like okay now you're gonna promote create a leaflet create this this is like probably this was Facebook time I think must have been before Instagram or right at the start of Instagram when, before Instagram is what it is now yeah um so we had like a few modules in business development. I love how you gave your time on
2: I was just about media. to say that, Yes, <laughs> well, <laughs> It's like the new Jesus, yeah. like before Instagram. Like yeah. first,
0: <laughs> Back in the old currency. B-I-G. BI, yeah. What? Two years BI before Instagram. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, now, because Instagram plays such a huge role in people marketing themselves. Yeah, for sure. Like, you can, you can be a very good marketer now but your sole focus is social media. Yeah. Not just Instagram, social media, like the whole lot. Yeah. Snapchat, Facebook, these weren't there, it was just Facebook, and Facebook was just a thing to speak to your, your mate in, Hull, in the, on the other side of campus, to see when he was going to lunch, like, that was all Facebook was. So we didn't have a clue how to use Facebook ads or set up pages. Um, it was 2008, nine, 10, 11 that I was there. Uh, I graduated 2012.
2: So, yeah, 2011 so, yeah. for
0: you then. Yes, yeah, so you should have known all about Instagram. Nah, that wasn't... I, I'll tell you what, we had one... Quite you know, I don't remember, we had one lecture, and a lecture told us about Google and how to get your stuff up higher on Google's pages. Really? And I remember that this lecture was all about that, and I don't yeah. know any of it. I know, I know it now. Yeah. SEOs, blah, 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 search engine optimization, keywords, the whole lot, reviews, duh, 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 blogs, mention this, link across. But this was that was 2011 i remember going this is pretty important but he's telling us because he had this whole thing where you'd reset your ip address and write another review you go online you'd reset, write, you would reset right yeah yeah you'd have to keep resetting your ip address i mean i don't know if that's still done or if that's old technology but uh that was it just modules here just just one lecture here 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 and then yeah. off you go the old rehab and the physio sort of Industry is
2: a little bit more mature than the SNC and sports science one. They? Like they've already gone through this process, and physios tend to start their own clinics, right? And rehab people tend to be part of small teams, and so they seem to be a step ahead in that sense.
1: Yeah, I think like especially with our industry is when I first went to uni, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there was too many SNC coaches out there. Yeah, it certainly wasn't to the point where people were doing having to pay for internships you know it certainly wasn't there by the time time I'd finished within finished my degree within three years it was kind of at that point Mm. you know you're kind of you're looking at other jobs and I was in the industry and I was talking to people and they were like we're just just getting interns and uh, I went to a conference last year at Twickenham Uh, it was a catapult conference and they had some pretty big names talking from big organizations, and these are the type of organizations that, again, as we mentioned before, would advertise a job, go to the effort of writing out a whole job description, exactly what they're looking for, this, that, and the other, and then, you know that it's you know a couple of months later you find out who actually got the job and it's someone that they've worked with before and I get it, I do understand it. You want to work with people that you trust. Mm. But then I went to this conference and they were sat there saying, oh, you know, we don't believe in getting interns in to do this work and that work and basically contradicting everything that they kind of had a reputation for, um, which is, is frustrating because you know, all people go on about now is how saturated the industry is. Yeah. But then I think, as you said, Keith's industry, same industry really, but like rehab and physio, it's obviously a lot more mature, but I think we're, we're probably going to find over the next four or five years that it should plateau out and and kind, kind of find a sweet spot where hopefully the good people will, will be employed and the people who... I'm not going to say are bad, but like who haven't found their way in the industry will probably go off and do other things. Yeah, yeah.
2: well, the people with the desire as well, like the people who are really passionate about yeah. this stuff,
1: will find a way. Like just, with our industry, mm. that's massive, but mm. I think a lot of people have played on that. In yeah. terms of, here's an opportunity to work for a year for free for for, for the yeah. biggest rugby club in the Premiership. It's like oh wow, cheers, thanks. Yeah, you have to be in every single day. You know, Chris did it. Yeah. When we lived in
0: Wimbledon, Chris was up the same time as me. I was driving an hour and a half down to work for the military, and Chris was up in his London Irish kit. We'd walk a mile to the train station, he'd, and that was... Ducking under the gates at the train station. Well, he wouldn't, wouldn't have to, got no money. He wouldn't have to duck. Yeah, Chris, would just, Chris <laughs> would just walk under. <laughs> and he went under the thing, because he was going out to Sunbury where there was no gates that way. So as long as he got through the gates at Wimbledon, he was set on the train all the way to Sunbury, And then he was playing for London Irish amateurs in the evening, so he'd get his afternoon meal with the pros, Mm. and then he'd get his evening meal with the pros, then he'd hang around, go to amateur training twice a week, and then he'd come back doing the same way, onto the train at Sunbury, change, get out of Wimbledon, hop over the gate a mile, walk back, all in like lashing winter in, in London for nothing, no money.
2: Yeah, Yeah. that was just a play for everything. Particularly by the third year, half the class was just coming in tired and exhausted because everybody had a free internship and they're trying to do their their assignments and they're trying to work as well and then do part-time jobs to fund it up. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that would change, but I don't think it'll change yet. I mean, people are sort of grumbling about it, but then uh, nothing ever seems to happen, but it
0: seems to be taking more notice of now. There is a big economic squeeze on it all. you know. There is like, it does come down to the numbers. So, if you're a Chairman or whatever of London Irish and you've got two guys, one who's a, who's graduated six months ago and one who's about to graduate yeah. in six months, this guy's got no experience either. They're graduates. he's just got a stamp on a certificate. Yeah. I don't want to pay for this guy. I'm going to take this guy. All we need him to do is to count some combs and like lay out some some whatever else tackle bags round up the boys put the protein into the water and just be there. you know yeah
2: that was a good thing about the English Institute of Sports and it was a similar sort of deal they, they called it a work placement um, just so they could get around kind of like the internship because it, an internship is almost like a protected term in the sense that yeah. if somebody is an intern there are certain things that you have to do but what they did in, uh, uh, to kind of balance things out with like you got a very structured experience and so I was I was working with like the rowing team in Sprint park but then they would make sure that I spent a week with this guy and a week with that guy and then there'll be regular, right, what have you learned Um what do you think? Do you know, regular appraisals, everything so
1: yeah. I mean I would I wouldn't really change my group because you know, first year was obviously reminiscent of Chris's year at, at London Irish but come the second and third year I was there, I had some huge responsibilities. You know the head S and C coach left, big cuts were made. Um, and it was literally just me and one other guy, um, and another guy, and you know, once a week and, and whatever. So, with that, you know, he, he kind of let on me a bit more and chucked me in at the deep end, mm. which was brilliant. You know, I I could have really appreciated it. Yeah. But again, that's just through sheer luck. Mm. A lot of it, a lot of that's life. Uh, yeah, okay. a lot of probably <laughs> yes, through your career
0: is luck, like, luck and unluck, and then how you react about it. Yeah. Then you came out to Dubai
2: and. To be fair, like, since coming out, I mean, you've had like a range of experiences. What, a reality TV show? Yeah. Swimming academies. CV star. Well, speak about the reality, <laughs> that's still going, right? What's, um, what's I the don't desert think force? it is,
1: no. No, desert force was something different. So obviously I moved out here. Which, re- Al Batal? Oh, yeah. Albatale, yeah. The base so Albert so is basically um, a reality oh. MMA program, uh, like the ultimate fighter, basically. Mm. Yeah, Albatomi's
0: champion or champ.
1: Yeah. right. So Keith worked on it as well every yeah. now and again. He made a guest appearance. I made about... The, I went there. a few hamstrings. Yeah, I went there <laughs> twice a week. All the way to the farm
0: in the middle of the desert in Abu Dhabi. Twice a week. Stood around. After it, gave the winner uh, a post-fight uh, sports okay. massage and addressed any injuries they had. I reckon I made about combined six seconds of footage <laughs> in the, in all the episodes that I watched, where they literally just had a little montage of it after the event, and it was like, boom,
1: there I am in the bed, and gone. Thanks, Keith. Bye. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. So I was obviously dealing with the physical trainers and other things, so stuff in the gym, fitness. Um, but the thing is, like, by the time these boys get here, the mm. idea of the show isn't to make them fitter. They need to be fit by the time they arrive. Yeah. And it's over, a, I think it was over a six week period, basically on a knockout thing. So yeah, if you do come under prepared, then you, you're not gonna do that well. So my role really wasn't to get them any fitter or anything like that. You know, we sat down uh, with the guys who were organizing it for weeks before the show. And my opinions as a, an SSC coach, I was saying they probably need to be doing X, Y, and Z. All the feedback was, well, how, how's that going to look on TV? You know, does it look good? Does it look cool? They were sponsored by uh, Ford. Ford, and mm. they had these two massive Ford trucks. And they were like, right, we want to do, uh, you know, all these competitions, like pull the truck, strongman competitions, get the tires. And, like, that's cool. But, you know, there's other stuff that, off the camera, away from it all, I, I kind of personally wanted these guys to learn something about strength and conditioning, even if they were winning or losing, no matter what, it's like, these are the kind of fundamentals that as a fighter, you need to know things like basic strength training. You know, these guys are smashing out the high rep work. It's pretty old fashioned, the boxing, the whole martial arts. It's certainly come a long, long way in the past few years, but, um, mainly in the U S, um, guy called Joel Jameson. Obviously he, he does a lot of stuff with them. Um, but, you know, you try and educate these guys and a few of them, they were all ears, they loved it. But again, a few of them just not interested. They just wanted to be on TV. Yeah, they just wanted I mean, to be on trying TV. Trying to be in the
0: background, or trying to be the yeah, funny guy. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's that's uh, that's kind of athletes in general. There are some who are there and they're very dedicated to their craft and then there are some who are there and they just they just want to play the game. Yeah. You know, whether yeah. it's, you know, MMA, whether it's football, whether it's whatever else. And exactly. They're and you know, you think
1: back to working, <clears throat> when I was working in the rugby club there's you know there's guys who have played international level and they're probably at the back end of their careers now and it goes back to that thing that you know whatever you learn in university you want to try and execute you know that's best protocol on paper you try and execute that to you know some ex French international prop who yeah. you know, just goes home and has some wine and cigarettes he's not, he wants to go out and play rugby that's all he wants to do so then you've got to step back and think Right, okay, what can I do if he's not doing what you think he should be doing you, then you have to change your attitude of what can I do yeah. and it's not so much damage limitation mm. but you know, is he going to do cleans really badly and not put in any effort yeah, or is he just going to jump with a couple of dumbbells and get more out of it? You know, that's it's quite specific, but no, that's kind of the thing, same way like in, in the
0: public as well. I mean, you have to sort of, as much as you know what's best for the human body, you have to tailor it to what the person is going to adhere to. So, if you're chucking out programs that they just don't want to do, like I don't want to do this, so yeah. I'm just not going to do it. And what's going to happen is I'm just not going to come next week. And if I do show up, I'm going to show up late. So if you find something that I can do, that I enjoy, I'll be on time and I'll yeah. be ready to go and I'll get a little improvement. Um, there's a, you made me think of Pirlo, the Juventus. I don't know if he's still playing. No, yeah. he's at uh, New York Red Bulls. Oh, he? He's one of the US teams. That... He's, uh, he has this famous quote, he's just going, I hate the warm-up. I, hate, I despise every single thing about it. the warm-up is just masturbation for strength and
1: conditioning coaches. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's not wrong. But, but it it. certainly, but it does have its place. I used to love yeah. the warm ups at London Match and uh, taking them. Yeah, I used to love it. And the boys, some of the boys used to absolutely hate it. Yeah. But the thing is, if you look at, oh, so it's just like just, a, a sport like rugby is very uh, anaerobic based. You know, yeah. where have you got time to fit in your aerobic work, um, apart from off season? But you look at warm ups you've got a good 15-20 minutes that if you can get them moving as long as your heart rate is up it doesn't matter what you're doing whether you're you know you're doing mobility work whether you're doing low level plyometric work that your heart rate's up so therefore you take that into the next part of the session suddenly you've got an aerobic part to the session you know and there's yeah there's different parts that if you were looking at a low level week you'd literally just get get them doing hardly anything as long as they were the sole purpose of the warm-up is to prepare them for the next part and that is it and if you can keep it as short as possible perfect yeah it's very much
2: like uh dan john's sort of philosophy on it like he uh so for those of you who don't know dan john is kind of a famous uh, american snc coach but he's, he used to be an ex-thrower but kind of a very very humble very kind of common sense kind of basics coach right and he, his philosophy is that his warm up is more or less the session. Like it's pretty much all of the cardio, all of the kind of the stuff that the guys aren't really into. And he'll make it last like half an hour yeah. and they're gas, And then they'll rest for like a good five to ten minutes. And then they'll do their heavy front squats or whatever else. you know. So they're yeah. primed, they're ready. They've already done all the stuff that they didn't really want to do. But he just dressed it up in a circuit. Yeah. He dressed it up in a, in a kind of a games or uh, sort of low level activity. Uh and yeah, I've I've trained with coaches who have been like that as well. Um, Alex Wolf, the uh, the head of the GB rowing team, their warm ups were more or less part of the session in the sense that they would kind of do all their sort of robustness work and all of their low level stuff. But again, it's it, all of it's stressed up so that there's. That the athlete feels that there is a very distinctive point to them doing it rather than yeah. this array of mobility exercises.
1: Do the old four corners
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wants, that's
0: it exactly it yeah makes. exactly there's, like, there's, a, there's a big difference when you have a really good coach who takes you through the warmth and you you know what you're doing oh we're doing like playing rugby oh we're doing this because i'm going to be jumping oh we're doing this because i'm going to be tackling it's not just like right run around the pitch when I say one touch the ground with your right hand when I <laughs> yeah, say two yeah. touch it with your left hand when I say three jump four turn around like god in the military then they're guilty of this in 2011 12 and 13 the guys were doing this. yeah <laughs> jogging around punching
1: in the air in the front <laughs> punch in <laughs> yeah, front punch up high <laughs> punch the, up to the side <laughs> the first time I went down to limps <laughs> didn't you know i'd go up and do my runs and run you know do my three mile runs my warm-up would just be like i don't know what it was now but you'd get down to limston and i was absolutely smashed just after the warm-up yeah. i was thinking oh my god like now i've got to go and do a three mile run yeah and then, so then you're together. dreading the session, right? Yeah, now your exactly. whole frame of mind yeah. is just yeah.
0: like, oh, God, like, what is this? Yeah, when you've got a good coach who you knows exactly right, like you said, keep it as short as possible, do as minimal as possible, but the players feel mm. their nervous system is turned on, they are warm, their heart rate's up, they're, they're sweating, good, okay. And we didn't we didn't do anything unnecessary because I've got to go play, play a game now. Yeah. yeah, you should be, like, pumped
2: to train. Mm-hmm. Like, you should be ready to go and there should be, like, a hunger there to, to do the session, I think, mm-hmm. after a good warm-up. That's always kind of the, the stop off point for me. Do you actually want to train after this? And then you use that almost like as a monitoring tool as well. So if they've had a really good warm up and they still feel like shit and they don't want to train, okay, maybe that's a day to rest or yeah. something. You know, yeah, it's interesting. See, it's the yes, you yeah. know, the detail that you can go into with just these kind of seemingly uh non important parts of the session and get a lot of information from that.
1: I think, yeah. um, so yeah. we're I was just saying that one of the people that I've worked over here with is uh, was the swimming academy, Speedos Academy, Mm. and working with uh, the the head coach there was you try and educate them as well as the athletes because they were youth athletes, and um, you know I I gave them like a set warm up to do just before they swim that none of them had done before, and it involved jumping and. You know stuff that stimulated the nervous system and they were like what like this is completely different but they but <laughs> the water yeah but it's also an opportunity that you know single leg jump stability work stuff that as as a kid if you're doing any sort of training that like you need if you can't do this then you don't you can't go into the gym and smash yourselves
2: yeah
1: and and that's what you know other people wanted was to, you know create this environment swimming is such a brutal sport as a young athlete. The sheer volume of training is outrageous. Yeah, well,
2: the sheer volume of training outside of uh, sorry, in water. Yeah. Where they're not experiencing
1: gravity. Yeah. Do you know, and uh, and as a kid as well, they're doing swimming, and then they're doing you know football on top of that, and yeah. You know, I used to do it as a kid. I did swimming for a bit, but wasn't really good as a fat kid. But <laughs> yeah, Were you I, was, I, was fast, I was fast over one leg you could float. Yeah. Um, I was fast from the bottom back to the top. Yeah, um, <laughs> all the, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of—it's—it's got to be—it's not necessarily specific to swimming. Mm. You you've got you're dealing with youth athletes here. You're trying to get them stronger. You're trying to get them more stable. It's, you've got other stuff that's more important than sports specific, you know, yeah. for swimming. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but again, yeah, that was another interesting job out here, working with them. That's the cool thing about Dubai, there are a variety of very different opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I think Dubai is is a really good place for for our industry at the minute. And even just, yeah. I've, I've been here three and a half years and the industry has changed yeah. massively. And, you know, we we're talking about internships and stuff like that. There's, there's no need for it out here because yeah. it's almost the opposite where... You know you've got schools that need coaches, and there's coaches out here at the minute who can do it and it's It's a shame that you have to try and convince you know establishments that they do need these coaches who mm-hmm. do not what they're talking about you know Chris is obviously working with gems and and uh dubai college. dubai college um and that's great, you know but I think it speaks volumes the fact that he's still there yeah he's been doing it you know these guys have bought into it yeah they see value in it i was looking at a few things on the internet the other day and there was a school that was looking for a chemistry teacher uh biology teacher a math teacher and uh head of i don't know it was like health again they made up the name for it It was like yeah health slash life skills must have a pe background or strength and conditioning or sport sports science and it was the lowest-paid salary out of all the jobs, and I was like, "Well, you know, it's 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 a bit frustrating that your your body is the only thing you have for the rest of your life. Yeah, you sure. know, it's kind of like so if you don't look after it when you're younger, then you know."
2: Yeah. I but you know, as, as the generations kind of go on, that will change. So you think like the the kids that Chris is teaching, they're going to be the kind of the teachers and the coaches and whoever of the future. You know, are well, some of them at least. Uh, and particularly in the, the UK where there's kind of more of a movement now towards sort of youth development the, the same sort of thing so as all these guys become adults and they start making the decisions these sorts of things will then start to be given a bit more respect and yeah, a yeah, bit definitely. more of importance
1: I think yeah, Dubai is a, a good place to be in our industry at the minute I think uh, people sure. are, so, they are opening up to the idea of you know not it's not just personal training I say just personal training I d- that's Sounds like a, like I'm putting them down. Not at all. But it's, it's a different art form than yeah, definitely than, than just gym work. Yeah, you know, we're sure. not going to get them doing bicep kills and getting massive and stuff like that. There yeah. is there is a science behind it. So there's been
2: like swimmers, MMA, rugby, kind of the army of stuff. Like when when an athlete walks through the door, when you go to these jobs, like what, what's your general philosophy then, and like how you deal with these kind of varying sports and whatever else like what's, what's the what sort of process
1: that you take? What environment they're in because I think it goes back to what we were saying that it's all very well going to university and learning all these things yeah. you know how can you apply that to, to your athlete? Every athlete is different even if they're in the same environment they're going to be different so you still can't apply the same thing so that's why dealing with you know, nearly one and a half thousand people in one go that's when it gets tough. Mm. Um, some boys take the time out to come to my office and sit down with them one-on-one, and I love it. I've got all the time in the world for that because then I can you know, go over specific things for them. Um, but yeah, it's just, you think about things like injury prevention, that's always top of the list, mm. um, buy-in. What, what do they enjoy doing if they don't enjoy it they're not going to do it so there's, there's no point writing a program that they're not going to do yeah um, yeah like I said it's just adaptability to it might sound like a bit of a get out clause but you know that I don't have a, a certain set of you must do X, Y and Z but it's just about adaptability and how sure. you can help that athlete in their environment
2: yeah do you have like a specific sort of uh, like uh, movement sort of assessment or whatever you put people through you
1: can't afford it can you you've got too many people yeah the job that I'm in uh, you can't really do it because like I said it's sheer volume and it comes down to what can we do with these people um, you know we still do press up tests sit up tests for the guys who can do it run you know mile and a half best time max effort on you know like I said press up sit up squats we still do all that ideally is that the best thing for someone in that environment probably, I I don't know it's probably not but we don't have the chance to work with them one on one that they do need so um, there's also a lot of norms though isn't there, like with those kind of PFT
0: style you can can relate your scores from your guys here to the guys in the UK, to the guys in the US. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we
1: we tend to compare scores throughout the different bases because we're dealing with the same people. So, um, you know, there's three different bases that are doing what we do. So we just compare it between us and and look at numbers that way. Um, Because, again, if you start comparing yourselves to the US or the UK... Those guys have opted to be there. They've done a level of training yeah, before yeah. they even get there. So it's, it's a different, completely different environment. Um, but if I would say from a, like a PT point of view, if, I'm, if I am working with smaller groups, then I think movement is key. Um, you do, it goes back to warm-ups. That's where in a warm-up, So if you're in session one or whatever with a client, if you put them through four or five movements, if you just say it's a warm-up, it's not a test you're looking at how they move and I think as a coach if you're constantly looking at how they move um, give a bit of feedback you know you don't want to say you don't want to sit them down and say right okay you know write your hip flexors type xyz and give them the list of problems that they've got that's not kind of why they're there you write them down as a coach you know it and then you adapt the training accordingly that's that's kind of what the approach that I take um Obviously, you've got a lot of people who, in the PT industry, you're dealing with lads who come in. Oh, I want to, you know, look like a guy on the front front cover of, you know, Men's Health yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like Nick. Yeah. <laughs> well, he has. So for yeah. Fair yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, it's just that you you've got to. If that's his goal, you ha- you have to tailor a training that's going to get there at some point, even if you don't think it's the best thing he should be doing you have to do that in the safest way because that's what essentially in the PT industry that's what he's paying you for yeah um but then you on the counter side that you know you you do have your kind of things that you stick to Hmm. your your ethos
2: yeah. yeah. So, like, what's yours then in terms of, uh, like, are there kind of exercises that you tend to get every athlete doing? Like, you are a back squat
0: man or a front squat man? Or are you. Uh, or how has it evolved? How yeah. is your thing evolved? Because mine has evolved quite a
1: lot. When I was at uni, it's like, yeah, back squat, clean, deal yeah. yeah. bench clean. Yeah. It's got UK SCA stuff. <laughs> um, now it's a case of. It's. Yeah, I'd say people need to be able to squat with a bar on their back, maybe not. Goblet squat, body... I think body weight squat, maybe not, because I, I think you do need that kind of counterbalance to get you down properly. If you to, say, do a squat with no weight and they're rubbish, yeah, give them a small weight, a 5kg dumbbell kettlebell or whatever, tell them to go down and use it as a counterbalance, they're probably going to be better. Mm. So then that might give you a different approach as to what they can do. Whereas if you were just saying bodyweight squat, okay, they can't squat. Then, you know, and work on their issues, as it were, over the next six weeks, as opposed to having a look at what they can do and try and push that whilst addressing the issues. Um, yeah, like squat's a big one. Mobility work in terms of rotation, shoulders are always the biggest one, you know. Yeah. They're just so complex that I think. Well, so abused as well.
2: Like it, it's, a, it's a fragile joint in the sense that there's loads of different directions and, and loads of things that it can do. But it's the one area that gets completely jacked up by
1: 21st century living and just yeah. sitting down all the time. You at a desk, your shoulders are forward, you're on a keyboard. And then you go to the gym and just do a lot of bench press. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the head press. Then you, but
0: then you drive home and you hold on to the steering wheel, and then you, you get on your phone when you get home, and you're in that same position. And then
1: you're eating. Your e, you that's where all your food, like everything, is in that anterior position. Mm. I think people know that now. I mean, it's such a common thing that it's not. That's not new. You know, even yeah. people who come to the gym now realize that. Oh, you know, I've been sat at a desk all day. Yeah, I need to do something to sort my posture. You know, I want to work on my posture.
2: Do you know, people realize it, but man, like people don't realize how much work you then need to do to reverse that. Do you know, people come in and they they do a bit for their warm up and they do, I'll do a bit of upper back work or something. It's like, look, there's like 168 hours in a week of which you're spending pretty much 90% of that time in that anterior position, even when you're sleeping and you're there to the side. And then people come in a couple of times a week for an hour and maybe spend 20 minutes Working their shoulders, do you know, like I was having this conversation with a new client the other day. It's like, Look, you nearly need to pay attention to this all the time, yeah, yeah, do you know, that's the only way you're going to counteract it. So, it's it's good that people are aware that it's like, Look, you really need to like resolve this throughout your day,
1: not just in the gym, yeah. And I think the the luxury of working with athletes is your contact time is a lot more, you yeah. know, if working in that rugby environment, you're with the boys most of the day, five, six days a week so you can you can approach these issues, you can deal with the issues, if they're injured and they've got a skills session, you can take them in the gym and work on other stuff so they'll join, say if it's an upper body session and they've just had an ACL reconstruction, they'll join in the normal upper body session, while the guy's going to do a technical session, he's in the gym working on other stuff to help his injury, whereas if you have a client who, you know, works a nine to five and comes to see you three times a week, that's that's only three hours contact time in the week. And not only is it a minimum amount of training that they've got that they're exposed to, it's also they might have a young child who as soon as they get home, you know, they're having to stay up there cooking for them. These constant stresses, you know, they might they might you know work might be tough, so they 're probably working late on their laptop all night, whereas with a professional athlete you 've got these people coming in the gym saying they want to be like these professional athletes' it's like well mm-hmm. okay we'll give up your job and do yeah. do this full time because yeah, sure. that 's kind of what it takes <laughs> not to deter anyone from that like that 's a great attitude to have, but I think it 's just about educating them that 's what the the biggest thing is is ed- educating your crowd, whether it 's a pt client whether it 's the, the, in an SSE a, a team environment, you know. Best practices, yeah. Exactly, yeah.
2: It's all about managing stress, do you know? It's, yes. Yeah. It's, and if you want, as you said if you want to live that athlete life, then it's, it's not just so you can dedicate the time to the training, it's so that you can dedicate the time to the recovery and exactly. not doing anything yeah. else. Yes. Yeah. So,
1: you can still train for three hours a week and do really well, but yeah. are you recovering from it? Are you getting exactly. enough sleep? Are you eating the right things? And yeah, there's a bigger picture. Yeah you're going to get a 90 minute lecture
2: on this next week
1: <laughs> this is your yeah, I've seen a few things on the stress and getting the balance
2: it's been something that I've been thinking about actually for a number of years now and uh, I remember I kind of gave some of it to Hamish as well to do for one of his talks I think Yeah. but this is like the first time So the key sort of side project online education This the first time I've really sort of put it down on paper and really sort of gone back into the research on it and it's it really is like back to the basics in terms of how does your body adapt? You know, and then what's the right amount of uh, of stress? So when we talk about stress, we're talking about everything. Just yeah. life. How much uh, life can you handle? Like how much is appropriate to adapt? How much is appropriate to uh, kind of recover? And then obviously, how much is then too much? And how do you sort of? Yeah. Recognize that. Like, what? What do you? What systems do you put in place to understand? Like, okay, this is enough for me to to get a decent training response. Yeah. Here's what's too much for me.
1: And obviously, that then changes on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis. Yeah, so I think that's key. I remember going back to university. It's probably about late second year, early third year, where I was just I was just trying to train like a professional athlete. You yeah. Know? Like, I'd, I'd get up, do my PT clients. I'd either go to the rugby club or go to lectures come back, you know, do more clients in the evening or sit down, try and do, do dissertation, do do whatever. On top of that, I was trying to train, you know, five, six days a week. And it got to the point where I just broke my body and ended up in the hospital with glandular fever. Yeah, And they were just like, your immune system's shot. Like our body just went. Nope. Yeah. And then that had a knock-on effect of, like, okay, now I've got a disc station to do. Uh, you know. the the station. And it was horrendous. And thinking back, I was like, well, what was I trying to achieve apart yeah. from, you know, just this stuff in the gym? You know. It's a problem, man. Like, even
2: uh, like in Japan, they've, they've given a word now to the, the process of killing yourself through work. Working so hard, you die. Do you know, know what that word is? Ah, you know, uh, Kiyoshi. It begins with I K. I can't remember now. I have to look it up. Uh, kamikaze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah of sorts. Of sort, <laughs> sort Yeah, different style. But uh, and the but, but thing is, though, it's people, at least most of the people that I speak to, like new clients and stuff, they can understand it on like a theoretical level. They kind of get it when you say it. But then, when they go back to their lives, there's like a real disconnect still, where they're working, and then their training time is their training time, and then they'll they'll see it as each one is in this nice little category, yeah. and that none of the categories will affect the other categories. You know, so I'm going to train as hard as I can because that's my stress relief from work. And it's like, no, you're just yeah. accumulating all of no,
1: smashing your body
2: physically. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I could talk
0: about this all day. I could go real hipster as well i start talking about meditation. and all, yeah, all this We'll, stuff, we'll save that for another time. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that another We're time. We're going to have to wrap this up now anyway. Um, Alex, thanks for, for coming along. Um, is there anywhere on Twitter or Instagram
1: that people can see what you're up to? I try and lay low on things like that. I am on Instagram and Twitter. Um, it's probably just me on a paddle board or something boring like that. Uh, <laughs> um, living life. But yeah, Twitter is a bit more sports science stuff because there's some good good people throwing stuff out there um, at Alex D. Lee perfect um, cool. that's a bit more job related stuff yeah industries cool
0: alright well cheers for coming in we'll have you on again sometime in the future cheers cool. Thanks Thanks very much.
2: Much. see you later Bye.